0: Never know good morning cool you guys are getting you guys are getting better at this, especially when I'm up here. no offense Glenn but i uh I get after them if they i, I I've got some expectations when I get up here and <laughs> say good morning I, this I guess that's how Glenn and I are different um, i'm making I'm coming at more peace with myself in the sense that Glenn is like the chill, you know, whatever floats your boat, man. Like I got here this morning and he goes, You ready to preach the fire today, brother? And I've never been called brother like that before from Glenn. But um <laughs> This is a I was this is not a roast. If it's a roast of you, it's a roast of me. Um because Glenn has like the super chill factor. And that's why we love him. That's probably why a lot of us go here. I'm not that way. I am not chill guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks Glenn. Yeah, we know, we know. So that's why I think it's kind of fun that he and I go back and forth with preaching just because I can, it's, it changes the pace a little, you know, mixes up the rhythm a little bit. What did you say? Bring the fire. Um, Anyway, so I, I'm picking up where we're going to left off in our series in Ephesians, living a life of love. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, where Glenn left us off this last week. Uh, I This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Um, I have spent a lot of time reflecting on what it means for my own personal life. And then this last year, it's meant a lot to go through parts of this passage as well, given a lot of the division uh, and disunity we've experienced uh, throughout our country and really throughout the world in the last year or so. So I found this passage, there's one really hard thing with Bible passages or verses that are like your favorite. And this is the case, whether like you teach and preach, or you just like talking about the Bible, or you have a favorite one. The problem is there's so much you could say And you got to narrow it down to like what you should say. And so this week, the challenge for me was, okay, there's so much I could say, but what should I say? Um, So with that, I'm going to pray and we'll just dive right in and we'll see how I do. Okay, cool. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to gather. Uh, I won't stop being thankful for the fact that we are together again. Uh, it, It was hard and brutal to have to do the the online thing, and I'm grateful that we are still able to do that. Um, But some of us, like me, are just not wired to be that isolated and to be that separated. And so, Jesus, I just thank you that um, you've given us the wisdom and the discernment to um, carefully and wisely find a way to meet together, and that you are continuing to uh, diligently work uh, in the earth through healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, scientists, to help us overcome uh, the coronavirus pandemic so that we can continue to move towards seeing one another in person again. Uh, And and God, I just pray that this morning, um, you would bless us with the text, uh, that we would sit long enough in the text this morning uh, to let it bless us. And where it frustrates us, may we sit with it until uh, you move on our hearts through it. Yeah, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 2, 11 through 18 is our passage Uh, this week. I'm going to briefly revisit the last two verses that Glenn touched on last week, just because it sets up the framework uh, that uh, kind of carries into 11 through 18, even though they're technically, if you open your Bible, they're like divided in these nice little sections and there's a title for 11 through 18, as if they're, like, not the same letter, but they're the same letter. Uh, And so I'm just going to read those really quick, just to, again, it's creating some framework. We're going to try and set this up really nicely. So verses 9 through 10, I'm just going to read it here. I don't have a slide for it. I'll get to there. Thank you, Naomi, um, keeping me on track. You know, real quick, Naomi is the one who keeps us all on track here. Yeah, honestly. Whether it's in worship or preaching. When she's got that dialed in, we know how not to get off the rails. Worship team guys, you guys have done this because I have done this. You forget the words back here. It's that quick Steph, you guys, a quick like check. So when you had <laughs> word check, you know, when you know you're about to botch one, I've done it. So when you have someone like Naomi back there, you can count on, you can count on that verse you forgot being right up there on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's big time. It's clutch. We, we, it took us a long time to have that because poor Glenn used to have to do all the time. And well, yeah, no, 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 (laughs) he was just worshiping Jesus, you know, having his, his moment so many times that sometimes, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Verses nine and 10. I'll read them really quick, man. I did not know this sermon was going to turn into an open roast of Schroeder. Uh, All right. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. you did say, bring the fire uh but we brought my firing is what we did for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do So I'm saying this is a setup. Why is this a setup? Because when we go into verse 11, Naomi, I'm ready for you. Let's do it. Awesome. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we read that, and we're like, okay, cool, yeah, we know that. Like New Testament church, like we're all at church because we, can, we have some grasp of this concept. Except here's the thing, 9 and 11 are setting up this framework uh, beyond just this. It's, the setup is, is for more than just what it means for us. It's a setup for, if you guys remember the last time I preached, I talked a little bit a lot of it about the redemptive story of God. If you guys remember this a little bit, and uh, and this is this setup. What Paul is doing isn't necessarily being like, okay, and now I need to remind you again that like you guys were super far away, and like, and actually some of us do need the reminder of like, hey, we get like, have this like super Christians thing that we do sometimes. Maybe not us, but we have all seen it. Some super Christians who like once they've, like, they've met the Lord and whatever else, we get so into like the Christianese culture that we start to have this better than mentality or uh, uh, higher than thou, like where we, we sit in our, in our high chair, completely made up of our own false idea. And we point at other people and like decide for them and judge for them how they are or are not following Jesus accurately. And we sit there in our high places being like, Oh, but that's not following Jesus, oh, but that is or you don't follow Jesus and you need to because of X, Y, and Z and blah 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 and you're going to hell because you did this and you profess Christ but you're going to hell because you had a beer last night, like, you know, whatever it might be. yeah, whatever it might be. Um you you pick. We have this tendency to do that. So actually, there's a fair amount of Christians who do need this super simple reminder of just by the way, a whole bunch of us are not Israeli <laughs> like physically, actually. We're not actually the, the people of the promise of God. But Paul's alluding to more than just like a physical or genetic inheritance or like just a genetic uh, uh, DNA or whatever it might be. He's also referring to a, a spiritual one because there's a, there's, a, there's a line or a redemptive narrative that we've talked about before throughout all of Scripture that starts with the Israelites in the Old Testament and then moves and we watch it unfold. And there's Glenn last week or the week before mentioned how there are times when people, usually people who just aren't Christians or don't understand how the Bible works, but also some Christians who, who think they do, who think that Jesus was like this last ditch effort. Glenn, you mentioned this again, like a week or two ago, that, that somehow God botched it the first time and they had to be like, oh, shoot, I got to scramble. I got to put it together. I don't know what just happened. I, I missed it. I botched it. And in, in fact, it's, no, no, no. There's there's that philosophy. I'm a big logic guy. I'm not very smart because I didn't go to college for very long. Like I lasted two years and then I was like, nah, man, I can't do this. Um, but I, I like to think that I try and find the logical string that attaches things. So the idea that God is omnipotent, omniscient, but then all of a sudden has a plan for creation and doesn't work and is suddenly in scramble mode, you know, like how we get when our plans fall through and we're like, ah, I don't know what to do. That violates the very idea of God in, like itself, like the idea of a deity is that they are perfect, omniscient, omnipotent outside of time, operating beyond time. So, That's a very fractured idea. You can't have God in a a botched plan. Does that make sense? I know, that I'm really going out to outer space here. But you can't can't have both. Either God is God for real, or there is no God, and there was a botched plan from the start, at which point I don't know what we're even doing here. But we believe that God is God. And so we believe that this is not just some scrambled plan that God suddenly decided to put together. So, what's that mean? Let's look at how uh, the Old Testament kind of uh, creates, or not creates, but the Old Testament alludes to what Jesus is doing and God's redemptive purposes in the earth. How do, we, how do we know that it's not just some scramble free-for-all that God suddenly decided, well, I guess I'll just send myself and see how it goes. Uh, Isaiah... Oh, <laughs> Naomi on fire. Isaiah 11, 1 through nine. Geez, killing it today. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what... Can I actually... I'm going to pause for a second because this just caught my attention just now. So we're all going to just dive into this together. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We live in a society now that suddenly has this idea that you don't fear God. Okay. There's two things with that. One, fear of the Lord is not literally like trembling. I'm terrified. Not like when somebody breaks into your house with a gun scared, not that kind of fear. Fear in this is, is reverence. If God is the giver of life, the creator of all things, and we really grasp that in our head a little bit, there's a lot to revere there. And not because we're afraid God's gonna take our life, but I I experienced this. I told you guys a story a couple months back about I was having my like acidic issues or whatever and everything like that. Man, that flipped my mindset about reverence of the Lord really fast, because I could easily do a ton of different things wrong that could screw it up and my life could be over, right? If we don't do things to take care of our body, take care of our mental health, our physical health, our emotional and our spiritual health, we can torpedo really fast. And all of a sudden I had this reverence for like the Lord gave me life, and not necessarily that he'll take it away, but it is fragile and it is precious and it can quickly evaporate if I don't lean on the Lord. Because if I lean on the Lord, then I begin to prioritize making sure I'm healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And when I don't, all of a sudden, when I step outside God's design for me, it gets real scary really fast. I think I'm doing a good job staying in the camera. Gary and Judy, somebody let Brogan know online. Thank you. But so, so I, I just have to visit this because there's this thing right now in our culture that fear of the Lord is somehow a bad thing. If we don't live in reverence, then he's not really our Lord. If we don't live in respect of the giver of life, we are missing the significance and just how big God is not because we should be afraid of what he's going to do to us. We're going to revisit the finished work of Jesus, the redemptive story. We know how this book goes. So we're not, I'm not breaking context here when I talk about reverence of the Lord. And that's what I love about that verse right there. The spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. I will delight in my, in the reverence of, of the Lord, because when we live out of a posture of reverence, we know we're taken care of. I didn't even write that down, so take with it. Uh, I bought it the last time, but if you don't like it, throw it out. If you like it, keep it. Um, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist the wolf will live with the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them the cow will feed with the bear their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, or the, earth will be filled with the for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. All right. At this point, you're like, well, Tucker, what's that have to do with anything? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Verses 14 through 18. Oh, yeah. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has just, I love this part. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And here's the thing. One new humanity. This is the title for my sermon today. I should have mentioned that like 15 minutes ago, but you're, we'll get there. <laughs> One new humanity, making peace. I was, um, when I was away teaching at that youth conference I was at back in October, the host family I was staying with, a great, great couple, Connor and Cassidy, Man, they were, they were so sweet. They were so kind. And uh, one night I was there after I te- taught and after I teached, yikes, uh, and Cassidy and I are sitting there, we we're just having a conversation and something, something came up about just keeping peace and she was talking about just keeping the peace and it dawned on me, I was like, oh man, this is kind of what a lot of Christians think is what we're supposed to do, is just keep the peace. But it's pretty clear, at least here, in himself, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Hostility, dividing wall, there's all kinds of words, opposition, not the same, Democrat, Republican, right? That's just the first thing most of us probably think of if you think of the United States of America. But in Christ Jesus, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace. Now, Paul, in a literal historical context, this is why we reference 9 and 10, why we read verses 11 through 13. From a historical context, he's literally talking about Jew and Gentiles, because this was a big deal in Ephesus. It was a big, big deal. It was a big, big deal when Jesus first uh, ascended was Jews, trying to, Jews converted to Christianity, but still trying to impose Judeo, Judeo law on Gentiles. And then Paul being like, no, 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 that's not how we do it. You can do it, but you don't have to do it. And so there's this back and forth and and like all these Jews are having to get over themselves and their own idea of how it's supposed to look. And the Gentiles are sitting there thinking, well, man, we're part of the new creation now. So you Jews need to stop following all the old laws and all the old there's. So, again, I mean, it is it is literally like modern day. It wasn't politics, but it's modern day what Democrat Republican is here. Like, yip, yip, yap, yip, yip, yap, you're doing this wrong, you view this wrong, you view this the wrong way. Like, this is what they did. Like, that, it's, I mean, it's comparable. It's comparable for sure. And, again, there's millions of different, not millions, but there's lots of different directions to go with this. You could talk about race, you could talk about nationalism, you could talk about uh, gender equality. All of that can be wrapped up in this passage, I have used it before in teaching a message about racial reconciliation and God's purpose in that. But at the heart of all of those messages is what we're talking about today. And that is this thing, that when we are in Christ, there is unity in Christ Jesus. When we are following Jesus, when we commit our lives to discipleship of Jesus, we're committing to this plan we're committing to this purpose to create in himself one new humanity out of the two to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So it's not just historical that this applies. This is a word we so desperately need today. And listen, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings here, but and maybe you guys are all clean in this because I know I'm not, but all I need to do is hop on social media and see people's pages, and I know exactly how much division and hostility there is. It doesn't take a whole lot. One trip to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it 's all I need. Christians, non-Christians alike doesn't matter. and I've participated in this, so like no judgment here, I'm guilty but I have gone on there and I have not seen the purpose to create in Christ Jesus a one new humanity out of the two. And we do this to each other, whether it's politically driven or topically driven otherwise. Christians with different viewpoints, opposing viewpoints, will literally destroy each other, especially online. It's a lot easier to do a lot of it online. And that's what's terrifying about social media. You can get away with a lot when you don't have to do it to a person's face. But I see it nonetheless, and it happens in two people's faces too. We see it in our families. We see it in our social structures. We see it in our workplaces. We see it in uh, our politics. You know, this, I, this total division, the dividing wall of hostility, it did not just exist between Jews and Gentiles. News flash, it's here still the wall of hostility dividing people i wrote that song no more Se- separation that we sang last week with my friend leo and it's predicated around this very passage around this idea i almost didn't want to preach this passage because i thought it was going to be cheesy cuz i wrote that song but the reality is it's a word we need we put the song out cuz it's a word we need and not and listen there will be man this is, there's a fine line we all have to dance when we preach, and, and that's this. Y- yes, we do believe in the cause of justice, and we want to make sure that we are clear that, there are, that justice needs to be served. But forgiveness is the new justice. The end goal has to be forgiving the sins and transgressions of others. We cannot arrive at unity if the expectation is to just hold over someone's head their entire life, their entire time, how they have wronged someone or a people group or whatever else it might be. And I, listen, I'm fully prepared to catch flack for that because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure when it says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I'm pretty sure that death part is both literal and figurative. And making peace isn't just picking a side. Making peace is a brand new way. It's not, and this is, again, having that conversation with my friend Cassidy, keeping peace is just deciding to, it's not even third-party new idea. It's literally just saying, I'm going to stand on the sidelines and not participate. No, no, no. We can't do that. We are, not, we are not engaging the public witness of Jesus. We're not serving justice if we just sit on the sideline. We have to literally step in and make a new way that doesn't just pick a side. It's not that easy. It's not that clear. I wish it was, but we should probably feel a little war-torn inside of us about like, man, I'm really, I really believe in this, but there's some of that stuff about it that I just can't get with. And man, They really bother me, but they need grace and they need mercy. So I, I can't just walk away from them and completely disconnect. We have to pave. It's what Jesus did. He literally paved a new way. And that's where this whole redemptive story thing comes back in again. I don't have it up there, but we'll just revisit it. That passage in Isaiah the idea is beautiful, right, that wolves lay down with lambs, lions lay down with calves, and kids are able to reach into a viper's nest. But here's the reality. Wolves hunt lambs, lions eat calves, and you can bet if a baby reaches their hand into a viper's nest, they're probably going to get bitten, right? That's, that's the reality of the world we live in. But it's not the end of the story. And here's, here's why that, that matters. Naomi, you can pull up that last slide real quick. A gospel that, ah, Glenn, don't, quote, don't write me for this quote. A gospel that doesn't offend you is a gospel that will not transform you. What do I mean by this? Because even though wolves hunt lambs, and even though lions eat calves, and even though a baby reaching into a viper's nest is likely to get bitten, you... The redemptive story of God that we are stepping into is one that is towards the wolf lying down with the lamb, the lion laying with the sheep, the calf, sorry, the baby being able to reach into the viper's nest. What's this picture painting? No more dividing walls, right? And again, we see it. The thread is there from Isaiah on. There's So many passages in Isaiah alluding to the the redemptive story God is doing through Christ Jesus. It wasn't some scrambled last ditch effort later on. This was the plan from the start because in Jesus, it's not just about Israel anymore. Now it's about humanity. It's about one new humanity. So what's that mean for us? We have been reconciled to reconcile. we have to take a deep internal look at ourselves and really ask two questions. I probably should have had a slide made for this. My bad. But we have to ask ourselves two things. One, have we settled in our hearts and minds that Jesus has reconciled us to himself? And I think this might be, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I'd go to these youth conferences, Cultivation Generation shout out. um, And there was so much emphasis on identity that once I got older, I was like, man, I'm so tired of this whole thing about identity. I get it. I'm in Christ, blah, 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 blah. Now I look at today and I look how Christians interact with one another. I look at the state of the church, at least the Western church. Like, no, that's still the word. That's still the word. Because... The internal acknowledgement, the heartwork, the headwork of coming to grips and understanding of being reconciled to God, while it's never complete, not until Jesus comes back, staying in step with that through life's journey is absolutely foundational and key to whether or not we believe that we can reconcile with others and, wh- and whether or not we believe. Situations can be reconciled, or if they're just hopeless. I make this bad joke. No, I'm not going to say it. But, uh, you know, the whole like Palestinian-Israeli conflict comes to mind. And I don't have a, uh, listen, I'm not going to get into the theological side of this. But either you're hopeless or you're hopeful about it. There's a false idea out of a false sense of, identity and what it means to be reconciled to Jesus, a false belief about this by Westernized Christianity, that if you don't support Israel, then you don't support God's redemptive purpose in the earth, which means you're justified in just blowing a country off the earth. That doesn't make any sense. When you look at our passage, you would you mind taking us one back that doesn't check out at all with this, that whole idea Hypocrisy. I think i being bad here, cheating off my notes to profess the crucified Christ, but build walls of hostility towards others is nothing more than hypocrisy. i like, again, fully prepared to catch flag, but we cannot profess Christ, read this, commit ourselves to the discipleship and following of Jesus and then build walls of hostility towards others. And this may not really be for us, but it it really matters for how we communicate with the world around us and really matters for how we interact with the world around us. So again, that first question, have we settled in our hearts and minds that Jesus has reconciled us to himself? The second one, Do we live in such a way that breaks down walls of hostility and builds peace? I'm asking myself this question. I'm having to regularly ask myself this question. I've had friends hold me accountable numerous times, numerous times about being too aggressive, too assertive, too defensive, too loud, you name it. So like, again, I'm not, This is not a, well, look at me. I'm on this pedestal of having really figured this out. No, no, no. We're all on this journey together, but we have got like the world desperately needs us to participate in this right now. Our witness, the way we go to work, our friends that we interact with, our families, our schools need to see a people who are living in a way that breaks down walls of hostility and is, trying, is building peace instead in its place. And that can be as extravagant and large as the race issue, depending on where you work and your sphere of influence and your friend group or whatever else. And it can be as small as you know there's beef between coworkers at Starbucks, right? There's beef between coworkers at Adelsheim, uh, you know, beef between coworkers at Cascade Vineyard. And, uh, <laughs> but the point is the point remains the same. It, it, it can be as you can dream big. If you want to go after the race issue, a gender, gender equality issue. Awesome. But start with something small. How does my everyday reflect breaking down walls of hostility? When I go to work and I step on the floor at Starbucks, do I create an environment where people can hide their conflict issues and and hide away how they feel or about how someone upset them? Or do I bring that to light and encourage them to healthily communicate? Haley, you're probably super familiar with that. I know I am. No, my my goal when I show up to work, if that happens, I'll happily tell them, hey, you should go talk to them about it. You should definitely go talk to him about it. And I'll, I'll listen, and, I'll, and I've done this a ton of times. I will come be a third-party objective mediator if you need it. If you guys feel like you can't totally do it in peace and, and discuss it, I'll come help you flush that out, mediate that. Done it a bunch, right? That's a prime example. And then we build peace out of that. We build understanding out of that. So whatever it looks like, Right? But these are the questions I want us to leave for today. And then I'll pray. You guys want to come up, Elijah, Mercy, Steph? One more time. I'll, I'll just phrase them if you guys are taking notes or whatever. Have we settled in our hearts and minds that Jesus has reconciled us to himself? And do we live in such a way? that breaks down walls of hostility and builds peace. The world doesn't need any more help creating conflict. That's what I was thinking about as I was wrapping this up. It needs no help in having more issues. And we can no longer live blind and ignorant and keep the peace because it's not peaceful. Hostility is everywhere. Dividing walls are blatant, obvious. Like I said, just hop on Facebook for five minutes. You'll find it. I'm not saying step in, but I'm saying it's not hard to find. We don't need to participate in more of it. We have to partner with Jesus in his redemptive story for one new humanity. We have to pave a new way.